let's figure out this healthcare situation. What are we going to do about policing and violence in our community? Well, most people are going to say, let's use one of these two or three prescribed things that we know to be effective or not effective, you know, based on what studies you read. And it's like, come on, y'all, use your imagination. What else is possible? Welcome to Artist as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Rob Kramer, founder and CEO of Kramer Leadership, whose mission is to advance leaders for the greater good. And I'm Piercarlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast, brought to you by the Keenan Institute for the Arts at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Rob and I are always particularly happy to profile artist leaders who live in our own community, so we're excited to bring you Rob's interview with Durham-based composer, producer, and politician, Pierce Freelon. Daddy-daughter day, it's a daddy-daughter day, and the sun is so much brighter when it's smiling on your face. Homies call to hit the bar, tell them try another day. Rather be right where you are, you can pick your favorite place. We can hit the museum, life is science, you see them. Animals and zoos even recognize the beauty, and your smile as it radiates. You hide and we play and chase. Even if we doing nothing, it's time we can never waste. Tell mommy we go. Rob, can you tell us a little bit about Pierce? I'd be happy to, Pierre Carlo. Pierce Freelon is a composer, musician, producer, and filmmaker who recently released his debut children's album called D.A.D. And I'll tell you, Pierre Carlo, the album is delightful. It features Pierce's 10-year-old daughter, Stella, and includes songs such as Daddy Daughter Day, a hip-hop ode to family playfulness and closeness that you're actually listening to right now. And uh, My Body, an equally celebratory lesson about body autonomy and consent. In fact, all the music you'll be hearing in this episode is from this album. And in addition to his musical enterprises, Pierce is the founder of Black Space, an Afro-futurist digital makerspace in Durham, North Carolina. And he's the co-founder of Beat Making Labs, which is an Emmy award-winning web series produced by PBS. He's also the co-director, writer, and composer of The History of White People in America, a series of 16 animated short films, and the first of which uh, premiered in 2018 at the Tribeca Film Festival. The first three shorts can be seen on PBS's World Channel, by the way. And we've uh, included a link to the episodes of The History of White People in America in our show notes, so please be sure to check them out. Pierce uh, also, in recent years, has thrown his hat into the political ring, having run to be mayor of Durham and for a seat in the North Carolina State Senate. And in August of 2020, Governor Roy Cooper appointed him to fill a vacant seat in the Durham City Council. And as an added side note, Pierce discusses his parents early in this interview, and for context, he's the son of Nina Freelon, the renowned and award-winning jazz singer, and Phil Freelon, the lead architect for the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., which, if you haven't seen it yet, is an incredible building and museum on the mall in downtown D.C. So Pierce comes from a family of highly creative, successful artists. He spoke to me from his studio in Durham, North Carolina, and I started by asking him to describe how he sees art and social justice intersecting. Oh, that's a great question. I think my um, my dad, who passed away last summer, he was an architect and a photographer and, you know, creative guy. And uh, one of the last things he passed on, actually, to back up even a little more, so I, um, you know, both my parents are artists. My mother is a jazz vocalist. My dad is an architect. 
And I, I talk about my dad a lot because I'm still grieving and mourning his passing. It's still fresh on my mind. And, and when people ask me things that remind me of him, I just have to bring his name up uh, if I'm being present and authentic to that grief. Um, you know, not a, a totally grieving is sad, but it's also just a, a, a completely normal and creative process of uh, dealing with change. And so uh, I just want to lift his name up uh, and and offer you and whoever else may be listening to this conversation some of the gems that he gave me as a kid. One of the last things he said before he passed away was, um, "Art is the most powerful force in the universe." Mm. <laughs> and uh, mm. you know, I think he was being um, he was talking about creation. Being creative is a powerful practice. You're, you're birthing something into existence. And many culture, many religious and spiritual practitioners, you know, that, that believe in a creator, that's like a common theme that you hear in a lot of cultures throughout the world is some being or some essence or some power has the power to create. And, uh, you know, and with all due respect to atheists and agnostic folks who, who may not hold that belief, I, I just wanted to acknowledge that that's a, that's a widely held reverence, the ability and capacity to create something. And um, my dad and I often talked about how when we make art, when we have an idea and we manifest a thing, we bring it into existence, we are tapping into that very ancient, very sacred, very world-renowned and revered practice of being a creator ourselves and birthing something, grabbing something out of the ethers and and birthing it into existence from nothing. And um, one of the most fascinating spaces for me as an artist where I've seen this uh marvelous and i mean marvel and you know in the true sense of the word word it's just what how whoa you know it's awe-inspiring like your jaws on the floor is during a cipher and a cipher is like a circle of rappers and poets and singers and we used to do a cipher before covid uh every single friday in downtown durham uh run by high school students uh, including community, Duke students, you know, North Carolina Central students, homeless folks, local people, tourists, high schoolers, elders, children, very diverse group. And the whole cipher, the whole experience, it's a communal expression um, that is rooted in improvisation where the rappers and lyricists and poets and beat makers and scatters and beatboxers are literally conjuring ideas and and presenting them in real time for two hours. We do this from 9.19 to 11 p.m. every single Friday pre-COVID. And the ideas that people come up with, the moments of sheer genius, creativity, and uh, ingenuity are just awesome. It's been several times where I'm just baffled. How did this six-year-old or 60-year-old come up with that line? How did they, you know, how did they conjure that? And, um, you know, and, and it's really, it's a beautiful and powerful and spiritual, going back to tying that capacity to produce things 
out of nothing to a, a sense of a higher calling or a higher being or a higher abundant capacity within all of us to be creators is something that I, I, I think my dad understood very well when he said something like art is the most powerful force in the universe. And, uh, you know, now that he's gone, I think about that often because um, I see it. I think about there's a lot of forces in the universe, you know, gravity, <laughs> electromagnetism. There's a lot of forces out there. Uh, but art is a powerful one, especially for us humans. Earlier this year, I released a children's music album where I sample a conversation with my dad. He was, it was about maybe 10 days before he passed away, June, no, no, July 1st, I think, 2019. Uh, he was laying in his bed at, at a, in a home that he designed. He was an architect. He designed his own home, his own um, tomb. And it was a really beautiful moment where he's talking to my children, his grandchildren, about the power of art. And uh, he, he talks about perception. He says, you need to, um, you know, sometimes it's nice to just listen, to just sit and listen and perceive and receive inspiration, you know, uh, or direction or art. Receive that. Be open to receiving it. And then... Um, and then create with it. And, and if you have the power to, to shift someone's day or make someone smile or build something beautiful, like that's really powerful. So he was just kind of reminding kids that, you know, when you're doodling in your notepad or writing in your journal or, um, you know, coding on your computer, you have, you know, an awesome uh, opportunity there to, to tap into something cosmic and grand. And, uh, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and bring this full circle back to your question because sure. that may have sounded somewhat tangential to the question about social justice. Um, but I think for people who have empathy and who care um, and who want to bend the moral arc of the universe towards justice, as King put it, art is a powerful tool in the arsenal of the organizer, the activist, the community leader. And there has been no social justice movement in the history of at least the Black freedom struggle. I don't know about other people's struggles, but I've, I'm an African-American studies professor and lecturer, and, and I know a lot about the Black freedom struggle. And I know when Black folks are fighting against oppression, they wield art like a, you know, like a battle axe, and they swing it uh, with reckless abandon, you know, whether that's been the civil rights movement with freedom songs or the anti-lynching movement with you know music like strange fruit in mississippi goddamn whether it's uh you know been visual art from henry o tanner uh, poetry from maya angelou you know or kendrick lamar i i we have um our social justice movements have been inextricably linked to creative cultural production and i think that 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 sacred bond is is tied to uh, the power that art has to transform culture and society. Do you see yourself as a leader? Uh, yeah, I do. I do see myself as a leader. I grew up being nurtured by many leaders, and I see myself and them reflected um, 
you know, through the work that I do and the way that, um, the way that I'm received in communal spaces, uh, and in my intimate private spaces in my, in my own household and my, with my kids and my wife. And I, I recognize that as a special superpower and privilege because, you know, there's a, a woman, a black woman, um, named, uh, Omi Sade Bernie Scott. She is one of the many folks in this Durham community she's that has toured. I know Omi Sade. Oh, you know Omi, yeah. So she's Omi's great. one of my mentors and someone who's poured light, her light into me, and uh, and I receive it with grace and gratitude. Mm-hmm. People like Baba Chuck Davis, who passed away a few years back in 2017, he's another community leader who has poured his light and positive energy and wisdom into me. Um, I used to live on the same street with Dr. John Hope Franklin, oh, wow. who was a preeminent uh, historian and emeritus professor at Duke. He's poured his light and abundance and positive energy into me. And then there's there's people I've never met, um, folks who I've read, uh, Audre Lorde and Polly Murray, who have, through their art and their legacy and their writing and their poetry, have poured light into me. And so I'm a vessel for all of this, uh, for all of their collective energies, just like my parents poured into me. Obviously my parents had more intimate access to me than Polly Murray, for example, but, uh, you know, and, and then I've got my biological ancestors who, you know, through my parents and genetics and, and through, their ideas that are passed on from one generation to the next have poured into me. But uh, the reason I brought up Omi is because she talks about, you know, you've got your, you've got your biological line of ancestors, and then you've got your cultural through line is how she puts it. Who are you, who is in your cultural through line of ancestors? And, um, you know, I count folks like, you know, Harriet Tubman is in my cultural through line of ancestors and, um, you know, Frederick Douglass and Ida B. Wells and Ella Baker are in my cultural through line and Polly Murray, you know, a lot of people in Durham, you know, uh, and Atwater, there, there's so many wonderful people in this community and nationally and internationally that I've drawn inspiration from and who I've attempted to emulate and study. And so absolutely, I, I feel when I'm walking with their collective light and finding ways to share it, I see myself in the, in the legacy of, of their leadership. When I'm just being, creating, sharing, engaging with folks, um, carrying them around with me. It's, it's not so much an intentional thing, like I'm going to go out today and be a leader. It's something that I've observed over time where in, in observing a, a public interaction with, um, you know, in, in community where someone will pull me to the side and say like, wow, you know, just hearing you talk to that young man uh, or, you know, was, was so powerful. And I'm just like, oh, I, we were just having a convo. I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be anything special in that moment. I was just listening. I need you to get a hamper right now. Yeah. You got some work to do in here. Gather your clothes. 
put them with depot to go. Girl, you better gather your clothes and put them with depot to go. I'll tell you what they don't belong. They don't belong on the flow. Oh, you some big kids now. And you don't belong in no pampers. Pick up your clothes. This getting old. Go put them things in the many artists we've interviewed for this podcast, Pierce is the only one who have gone into politics. So I asked him what about being an artist was a plus or a minus as he pursued a career in politics. Sure. Um, well, like many things, uh, you know, stuff can be pluses and minuses. I mean, I see a lot more pluses about the intersecting worlds of art and politics. Um, one such would be like, I mean, this is just a really generic uh, example, but my hair, you know, I have, uh, I have locks and that's an unconventional hairstyle for a politician to have. And when I, my very first campaign headquarters was in the home of a local centurion, she's now 103. Her name is Mozella McLaughlin. Miss Mac is what I called her growing up. She used to babysit me and she lives, uh, you know, in the neighborhood right off North Carolina Central University's campus. And um, she gave me an, an old, or not gave me, I rented it, uh, an old room in her house, which became my campaign headquarters. And um, she would ask me every day when I came in, she's like, Pierce? I'm like, yeah, Miss Mac. She's like, when are you going to cut your hair? <laughs> huh. And I would be like, uh, well... <laughs> Ms. Mack, um, you know, this is an important part of my identity. It's important to me that I come to politics with authenticity. I'm not trying to conform and stuff myself into a box just because it'll make some folks, you know, be comfortable. She's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. But when are you going to cut your hair? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, w- what I took from that is that, you know, metaphorically or, or realistically, I am uh, will be an uncommon thing, an unfamiliar sight to a lot of people when they think about what a politician is and how they get into public service and what they look like and what they should be about. And uh, you know, my hair is part of it, but it's also the fact that I'm a musician and uh, other aspects of my personality that and profile and biography that um, are really uncommon for most politicians. And um, I think that there is a certain segment of folks like Miss Mack who will look at that and with skepticism and say, "What's I don't recognize it. What is this? I don't, I've never seen these. You know, it's like a square peg in a round hole." And um, there are other folks who celebrate that background because, you know, specifically because our politics are so dysfunctional and um, archaic in some ways. And that a breath of fresh air would be a welcomed change to a kind of static environment, culture, and atmosphere. There's some elders who are going to be like, what is what's he doing? Like, go get the Obama cut, get you a Caesar. That's what we call that. It's ironically titled Caesar. Um, what black people call the Obama haircut. There's a little insight for y'all. But um, there are also some people who are like, I'm so glad that a young black man with the locks and a tattoo is is going to be sh- showing and leading just by being again here not doing anything special but when i show up in the community and kids see something that looks 
and feels like them, then they can potentially see themselves in, in that same role. And that also has an impact that I think is really important. Do you think it's important that more artists run for office? Absolutely. I, I was using the hashtag artist in office when I was running for mayor. And um, we seriously considered that as a slogan. We didn't end up adopting it formally, but, but um, continued to use it um, with a lot of our social media posting. And, you know, we talked a lot about improvisation and being creative and thinking outside the box. And those are things that are necessary for folks who have power. Um, otherwise we're going to keep getting the same old thing that we've been getting. And there are some things that are quite broken and need some radical change. Um, and so I think artists have a unique capacity to be able to be visionaries and to imagine that's literally imagination. When you tell a kid, go outside and play, what am I going to do? Use your imagination. Like it's something people tell kids to try to keep them busy, but literally Let's figure out this healthcare situation. What are we going to do about policing and violence in our community? Well, most people are going to say, let's use one of these two or three prescribed things that we know to be effective or not effective, you know, based on what studies you read. And it's like, come on, y'all, use your imagination. What else is possible? That's a practice that should be required of every public servant. Um, and certainly, you know, when I go back to my ancestral through line, my cultural through line of my ancestors, the Harriet Tubman's, the Ida B. Wells's, the Ella Baker's, and my cultural through line, these were imaginative Black revolutionary women. They didn't say, oh, why don't we have an upgrade to the slave cabins? They said, no, we're going to do something radically different about lynching. We're going to do something radically different about, you know, segregation, about the institution of enslavement. We're going to go, we're going to take a hard left, not working within the system that we currently have to marginally improve life circumstances for a select few individuals. We're going to create something brand new. And it's it's funny because when we reflect back on how innovative and visionary they were, it's hard for us to imagine because we've inherited the benefits and the fruits of that imagination being put into practice. But at the time, at the time, she sounded crazy. How are you possibly going to do X, you know? And, and maybe that's something she didn't even have all the nuanced answers to. But to be visionary means to see that something else is possible and to manifest, to be creative, to put your words into action and to build that other thing. And I think that's, that's what every, you know, almost every person in my cultural ancestral through line has done just that from Ann Atwater to Polly Murray to John Hope Franklin to Harriet Tubman. And, and those are the people that I carry with me. It's my body and my wounds. You want a hug, just ask and see if it's cool. A high five or a squeeze, they can be all right. But if I'm not in the mood, then that's just fine. If I feel good, I say so. But when I don't, I can say no. Cause my body is Rob, my I love how Pierce talks about not only family, 
given you know this incredible artistic family he comes from, but also cultural legacy in helping him find his leadership lodestone, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. What what struck you about how he leads? Well, that's big part of it, what you just said, Pierre Carlo. He he really sees how he's part of a lineage and a legacy and he recognizes ancestry and sees his place in it. He really looped back a lot to spirituality and the sacredness of his approach to art and creativity. And I loved right at the beginning, and he brought it back a few times, the quote from his dad, Phil Freelon saying, uh, art is the most powerful force in the universe. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if we can top that really. <laughs> it's just no. such a guiding light for him. And also the way he talks about how black people in the social justice movement wielded, wielded art like an, like an ax, I think he yes, said, and, like and, an ax. And wielded, you know, flung it about with heedless abandon art has, mm-hmm. has power. In terms of his connecting also Pierre Carlo, he, he just carries himself with, to me, such integrity. Um, there was sort of this through line of him talking about his leadership is really about listening and connecting with people and seeing people. And it, it reminded me of, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but there's this wonderful quote from Mother Teresa that she says, um, people are more starved for love to be seen uh, than they are for bread. And I really feel like that's a really clear way of how Pierce w- walks in the world. Makes me wonder, you know, he's a young man. I can't, and I can't wait to see what he'll accomplish. But also makes me think, wow, I can't wait to see what his children accomplish. They're yeah. part of this lineage of his. Yeah, and what he's going to do in public service too. I think will be pretty profound. Hopefully. Yeah, we're lucky to have him in our midst. Thank you for bringing us this interview. You're welcome. If you'd like to learn more about Pierce and read a longer version of this interview, please go to uncsa.edu/artistisleader. If you enjoyed this interview, please let us know by leaving us a rating or a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And show Pierce and Stella some love as well by purchasing DAD. Absolutely. Antidote to some of the (laughs) atmosphere in the air these days, honestly. Our own theme music is By the Dimes. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti. And I'm Rob Kramer. Thanks so much for listening. Mm